and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, well, I mean, I'm personally doing okay, but there's a lot of people in the world who aren't right now, Indeed. Um, especially the people of Ukraine. And um, so I wanted to uh, uh, not just, you know, give lip service and uh, right. um, obviously our, our, our hearts go, go out to them. Um, but I want to mention, I'm a member of a critics group called the Hollywood Critics Association. We just had Now's our, not the time to brag. <laughs> I was, yeah, we just had our award show the other night. But um, more importantly, the Hollywood Critics Association has partnered with the Ukraine Crisis, Ukraine Crisis Fund. Um, uh, sorry, they've partnered with CARE, I think is the organization, okay. on a Ukraine Crisis Fund. Sorry for not being... Uh, uh specific there but um they have a gofundme you can um uh donate to that and i've hopefully by the time you're hearing this there should be a post on the website where you can do that but you can also um find the Hollywood critics association you know online on their their twitter feed or whatever it's their pinned tweet so um i've 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 donated uh, i know most of the members of the hca have it's a it's a way to um, it's a portal to donate some money to to help people uh, in Ukraine. So um, yeah, find that at battleshipretention.com or or the HCA Twitter account or or whatever you wanna, however you wanna get to it or find another way to donate or j- just you know um, it's uh, uh, hard to do nothing. You know, it's it feels like there's so little we can do. Yeah. Um, that uh but you know and, and sometimes it feels sometimes it maybe it feels crass to just like throw money at something and go about your day but money helps you know yeah and it's yeah it's somebody had commented recently and and sort of asked us to uh, to address uh what's going on and i remember at first i thought like but, but what on earth am i gonna say and it's like yeah but you know what sometimes certainly money helps but also just saying hey this thing is going on like it's very easy to just keep talking about movies and we're going to be talking about movies. Don't worry. But it's, it's, it's very, you know, this is not something that happens to us as far as like other, you know, Canada doesn't uh, roll into the United States and says, Oh, this is ours now. You know, we are pretty safe from that sort of thing. Uh, Certainly we have plenty of domestic issues, but like, there are it's 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 so it's so foreign to us to think uh, of countries that are in danger in that kind of danger and when i first heard about like i was just so angry uh and just thought like and you know me being a standard uh american uh usually anytime I hear about any kind of international or domestic crisis i know exactly what needs to be done <laughs> sure. um and in this instance i was just like I don't know what can be done by us, like yeah. by, by us as except to at least acknowledge that life is not so great for some people right now. And in fact, it is indeed a crisis and they are in danger and people are dying. And so acknowledging it first and then asking, what can I do? And at the moment, the only thing I can think of is what you is what you're talking about is sacrificing some some of what you have you know and in this case it's money and uh i i do feel like the 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 concept of way of raising awareness is is you know something that we grew up with it was a big thing in the 90s um but it's not it, it is a good thing to just acknowledge that there is something truly unjust happening in the world uh at least one thing this is the yeah. latest thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. The, um, there's a whole, uh, uh, not that the show was ever a like um, a gospel, but there's a whole episode of Adam ruins everything about like sure. charitable giving and like the idea that a lot of what people like do as charity, like is actually not as helpful as just like, giving money to the people who know what to do with like, yeah. a, like, but it feels good to do like a canned food drive or whatever. But if you just like gave a hundred bucks 
it would probably do more <laughs> than spending your afternoon uh collecting uh cans. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, uh something to think about and it also makes me feel better as as someone not that I'm rich or anything, but has gotten to a place where I have money sometimes. Uh yeah. That I can do something with it. Yes. All right. Thank you, patrons. Yes, thank you, patrons. And also thank you to tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Uh, today I was listening to the new, by which I mean it came out in December, uh, um, album by a band called Method of Doubt. Uh, the album is called Staring at Patterns, and it uh, feels like... Uh, uh, the kind of um, hard punky hardcore that I would have been into way back in tenth grade. So it, my, uh, I love that sitcom in the eighties. Yeah, <laughs> my nostalgia buttons. Um, sound great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds that are available at a low low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if I use the alpha code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the alpha code pretension. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler, we're back. Okay. Um, and we are ready to... We're only we're only a couple weeks away from our uh, top 10 movies of 2021. Episode. Yeah, the new year is, is, is about to start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. I, I do feel... Um, I'm getting a little, it's only early March, but I'm getting a little panicky um, in the way that you have gotten the past couple of years being like a new dad, not having much yeah. time when we do our like best of the year so far in early July, because I didn't cover Sundance this year. I'm like, what am I going to have seen? Like, sure. I, is like the three, five, five still going to be in my top five? <laughs> it's actually, there is actually no danger of that. It is already not in my top five of the year, but yeah. I am worried that I'm not going to uh, see anything, especially because I've been spending so much time catching up on 2021 films, trying to see as many uh, partially at, at, at this point, my like cramming 2021 or cramming movies in the previous year, right up until we're done recording is uh, it's about, you know, having a complete like top, top 10 and honorable mentions, but also right. the two episodes we do leading up to it are really what it's about. Cause next week we'll do our like movies that we think fell, fell feel fell through the cracks this week. We're doing our favorite individual achievements, but I think I'm not sure if you've continued this tradition. This episode for me has sort of become a version of through the cracks. Like here's some of my favorite individual achievements of the past year that aren't getting a lot of awards attention. Yeah, that's definitely what this is for me. And then yeah. I'll, I'll say of all the episodes that we do from year to year, the one that I think I can officially say has been most affected by me having kids is the Through the Cracks episode, because I see so few movies at this point that, you know, you get a top 10 and five honorable mentions and overrated and underrated and a worst. And it's like, that's all of them for me. Um, <laughs> and, and like, and the ones in the middle, it's like, well, it's not like I felt it's, it's usually like mainstream fair. Like people know about it. It didn't fall through the cracks. And if it did, usually it's like, yeah, it deserved to, it's not yeah. very, this isn't very good. Uh, that's the one that's tough. This one is easier for me because it allow you know, cause I can, I can zero in on specific things right. uh and yes like like yourself i try to zero in on i try to focus on things that um that are not uh, really getting much awards attention but i also just this is my own my own rule i try to uh i try to uh, incorporate things that were not nominated for bps i might have submitted them for bps but they're not they're not actually nominated um so that 
Yeah. So I guess officially like these are individual achievements that have fallen through the cracks, even of battleship pretension. So, yeah. Okay. Well, um, as I usually do when there's uh, multiple categories, I let you pick the order. You, you can call out the, the categories. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to kick things off by just getting something done and out of the way. And it's going to be lead actor. Okay. And I'm just going to pick Peter Dinklage for Cyrano, who unfortunately isn't getting uh, a whole lot of, of no, awards no. attention. Mostly I think because the studio has not done well by that film. Um, I know that they mounted a campaign, but I don't, but I, I feel like if you, if you just continue to push the release date, I think it just, even if you're sending out screeners and stuff, I feel like it just evaporates from, from voters' minds. Um, but, uh, but the one thing that as I, as I look at reviews of Cyrano, cause, uh, there's, there are some people that really don't care for the movie that much, but one thing that everybody agrees on is just how wonderful Peter Dinklage is in the main role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the character of Cyrano has been played uh, multiple times by multiple actors. And I think each one brings a different kind of thing to it. Um, and with Peter Dinklage, he really brings a certain type of dignity, but never a martyr type dignity to the character, which would be so easy. It's so easy to, to play the character's nobility as purely uh, a front, you know, and that he's just hiding sadness and insecurity underneath. And it's like, and there is insecurity, but he does seem to incorporate that into his larger choices as an actor. And he actually does, you know, it's, it's, he plays the contradictions of the character that he is aware of how capable he is. He's aware of how intelligent he is and how poetic he is. And yet he cannot allow himself to focus solely on that. He still is aware that he is unlike other people. uh, And he lets that define him, but never completely. And he's constantly walking this line between two much easier things to play, which is a guy who's completely confident and everyone else can go to hell, but obviously that's not, that's not fully in the material or someone who just feels sorry for himself. And I don't really get a sense that he does that either. Um, And that he is a character who does have some, he does have a certain pride to him. Otherwise he would declare to Roxanne what he feels and he would let the chips fall where they may, but he, he has too much pride. Even he even declares it at the end uh, of the film. And it's just so difficult to do all of these things while also, yes, being a skilled swordsman and singing and doing, which also means that the material is going to be a little bit heightened because at any moment a song could break out. And so everything that's another fine line that he walks because there are moments where you really need to be able to just see what he's doing with his eyes, uh, even in the midst of, of over the top moments and, and imagery. And it really, I mean, he, he does, you know, it's called Cyrano. He plays Cyrano and he really does carry this movie. And I think he carries it very well. I mean, if I, I love the whole movie, but I really think that if his performance wasn't as good, uh, I think the film just doesn't work. Okay. Um, what I, a way that I get inside my head a little bit with this episode is that I always feel like talking about acting is the thing that I'm least good at. So I feel like with my best actor, actor pick, it's a very different pick, but I feel like I'm going to say most of the same things you just said. Okay. Uh, and my pick for best actor is Amir Jadidi, the star of Asghar Farhadi's A Hero. Okay. Um, and again, you mentioned Cyrano is called Cyrano. This movie is called A Hero, right? He's, right? he's the hero of the movie, but of course the title is somewhat bitterly tongue-in-cheek um, in that he is not a hero, nor is he a villain. He's a guy. And um, uh, Amir Jadidi has to play a guy who is mostly pretty decent but the movie is also about what that means you know um but also acts in his own self-interest sometimes in a way that like everything that he does good decisions bad decisions have to be something that you could kind of for the movie to work that you could kind of like see yourself doing at least understand why that choice would be made at that moment 
you know, whether he does something noble or whether he agrees to tell a fib or whatever, like you, um, you, you support him at, at every time, at every point. And, uh, it's, there's a temptation to say that the character is almost a passive character because so many things, uh, seem to keep happening to him in a way that is just this side of being like a like tragic comic um but he's he's making decisions the the entire time um and uh there's something like the the way that this character is so fully in the moment this isn't the type of character this isn't the type of movie where like someone has uh, a character has like a multi-step plan and you see it revealed at the end and you're like, Oh, that was, that's what he was going for. Mm-hmm. That's he's just, he's mostly just doing the best he can with whatever he's given or is happening to him in any, in any moment. And I, and I, and I feel like that, like, this is where I get to where I don't really know what acting is like, but I feel like that seems like it could potentially be very exhausting for an actor to, to, to sort of not be able to fall back on like, uh, like the trope of like, what's my character's like motivation? His motivation is to get through this conversation and to, to like he obviously has bigger goals, but um, there's so much happening to him at, every, at, at any moment that he's uh, I'm repeating myself, but he's constantly reacting. So yeah, a great performance in a movie that would not work without a great performance. Amir Jadidi. All right, uh, next we're gonna go with screenplay. Um, And this can be adapted or original. Uh, In my case, it is original. Uh, It's a film that I know you don't necessarily love. Um, uh, It is uh, Michael Sarnowski's Pig. Um, There are elements to the screenplay that I could that I think could be seen as too clever um, or trying so hard to be such a specific type of variation of you know, the, uh, the Liam Neeson, uh, type movies, like the old guy or or something like John wick, you know, the older guy who's kind of removed from the world, uh, and has turned his back on the world, but gets pulled back in by, by somebody, uh, you know, wronging him. Um, so I think it is, it is meant to be kind of a, a riff on that. Uh, and in doing so by creating a John wick esque, uh, subculture or you know uh, underworld that is all cooking based <laughs> um you know it, it's i i enjoy that because it's so specific but there are moments where i'm just like yeah okay all right like the the fight club-esque thing uh part of me wonders like eh, i don't know if this is necessary but the rest of it is so it goes beyond clever thankfully uh for me like it's it it treats uh, our main character as a as it treats him with respect, and the film keeps suggesting that we are going to go in a direction of violence. Uh, and and I, I've said this before, like violence by its nature is dehumanizing. And in fact, this is a character who the violence that he does is through his words, and he gets his revenge, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, by reminding people of their humanity um, and partially by, you know, reminding them of what their passions are and the idea that maybe they have wasted some of their time and effort. Uh, and it's the kind of thing that as you're watching it, you yourself could be like, yeah, what, what am I spending my time on? Um, and, you know, all of that, again, all of that could feel and maybe to and maybe to some it does i mean perhaps to you um all that could feel a little bit too clever but i do think that some of the scenes are just written so specifically and with such sincerity that uh that it never fully for me tips into uh self-conscious cleverness um and uh and instead winds up being such a such a fascinating um left turn for this mater- this type of material and i wound up really uh respecting the probably the screenwriting choices more than the directing choices honestly i can see that yeah i think um 
I definitely hear what you're what you're saying. I I, I had my problems with some of the, um, not the cleverness so much as the like insistence that this is all so meaningful, which it is. But the way that a movie is so like dourly like serious about itself. I do wonder if 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 someone else had directed this exact screenplay, I wonder how it would have turned out because you can, you know, sometimes when, when somebody directs their own screenplay, that might actually be the worst thing for it because you need someone to maybe run like, you know, for my money, like as far as films go, Aaron Sorkin's best stuff is directed by uh, filmmakers whose whose instincts are exactly the opposite of his Bennett Miller, uh, David Fincher. But anyway, okay. So what's, what, what do you got? Don't forget Rob Reiner. Yes. I'd say his, I don't think his instincts are exactly the opposite, but uh, they're at least more grounded. And if you could manage, it's a good movie. Yeah. Um, All right. So my uh, screenplay pick is also an original screenplay, even though now uh, Ryosuke Hamaguchi is getting attention for his adapted screenplay for drive my car. But he had two movies that came out this year. He also had a movie called Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, which is actually a, a triptych. It's three three short uh, stories that um, was written by him. And, uh, I mean, he's a fantastic... Everything about this movie is is great in terms of the way it's directed, the way it's acted. But, it's, but the way it's written is, is so crucial because it's... You can see it as a series of one-act plays. Almost, it's three stories they're generally just two people each there are other other people that come in and out but each story while they are very different in terms of what they're about and 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 what they uh are interested in structurally there are similarities and that they're both or all three of them are stories in which the dynamic between the two characters keeps changing as new things are revealed in the conversation um, in a way that never ceases to, to surprise. And in also a way that part of the reason it's surprising is because it often happens so smoothly. And so, so subtly that you um, suddenly find yourself like, Oh, I thought, I thought she had the upper hand, but now, he has the upper hand, right. which is also not like not all the conversations are battles either. Like one person is trying to have the upper hand. That's not um, that's probably true in the first one and a little bit in the second one. But the, the second one is two people just trying to sort of like reach for each other in, in a way and, and, and make a, a, a connection. And, and they their orientation keeps getting changed by things that come up in the conversation. So um, it's. Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy is both, in some ways, both a very deliberately written movie and a very nuanced and naturalistically written movie at the same time. So, uh, fantastic screenplay. All right, we're going to pivot to supporting actress. And my choice, uh, might, I might not get the uh, pron- last name pronunciation perfect, uh, Olga Meredith for uh, In the Heights. She plays... Uh, uh, our main character's uh, uh, abuela, um, oh. uh, a very uh, affectionate term for the character, sort of this grand, this grandmotherly uh, woman who, you know, uh, with with some notable exceptions, I'll say this year, um, the performances I tend to like the most are the ones where there's the obvious way to play it and the person doesn't do that. Um while still recognizing like there is a reason that it's obvious. So like, I'm going to tip my hat to that from time to time, but, uh, but I'm going to do my own thing. And so with this character, you know, she's, this is a, this is a film that I consider to be like big and broad. And, you know, the character, like the characters are pretty much all wearing their heart on their sleeve all the time. Um, And it's also a film that I mostly didn't like that much. I didn't really feel that invested in any of the characters except hers. Um, and that's partially because, you know, on one hand, yes, she has to play kind of the, the, the feisty old woman that we've seen so many times before in, in various types of movies. Um, and she is that, uh, but she also has to play, you know, a, a mentor type character and sort of the wise uh, old woman who, who 
who plays a specific role in the community and she plays all of these at the at the same time uh so that yeah she's kind of she's kind of goofy and and she just seems so harmless but you also recognize that she is just taking the entire community under her wing uh and then her song comes along and it's just this passionate uh you know reliving of of what she and her family have been through and what they're still going through and what i like there is because it's also very easy when you have characters like this it's also so easy to just think like they've always been old they've never been young uh and what i love about her performance of that of that song is that it's so passionate that you get us you really get a sense of her history and that she wasn't always this this uh kindly old woman that she like the rest of us you know grew up and and witnessed these things and all of them contributed to who she is now and who she's choosing to be now and if she had tried to i feel like if she had held back in that song uh it obviously it's the case with with any song like sometimes you just want to belt it out but other times i think maybe you do want to maybe underplay it but i think she recognized that given who she is and and the role that she plays in that community uh she has the entire history of the community inside her and so she's representing something and so she has to put that out for everyone not just her character and as a result you get a sense of uh you get a, a deeper sense of who her character is and who she was and what she's experienced and so uh, i just really like her total commitment to the role and making her a, f- a very w- a fully developed well-rounded character instead of any one uh thing that she would have pulled off perfectly well certainly but you know, she can be funny. She can be dramatic. She can do all of these things. And I think she does. It's a, again, in a film I didn't really care for, like in my mind, like I absolutely submitted her for a BP. She was at the top of my list. Like, uh, and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's worth for me. It's always worth noting when there's a performance that I absolutely adore in a movie. I mostly don't, um, because it's just like, yeah, good is good. And her performance in that is pretty amazing. Uh, it's, as is the case here is, uh, is often the case when there's a great performance by an actor I'm not aware of in a movie that's based on a play. Mm-hmm. Usually it's, I'll bet she played the role on stage, sure, which she sure. did. She was nominated for a Tony for that, that, that role, but Understandable. it just also happened with uh, Jane Hody shell in the, the humans this year. There's like all, all these actors that I know from movies and TV who are great. And Jane Hody shell is in many ways, the big, the greatest performance in the movie. I'm like, how do I not know her? And it's like, Oh yeah. Cause she's a stage actor yeah. and I'm a, a uh, dumb idiot um, and uh, never heard of her. Anyway, we made uh, our choice. This is the life we chose. So uh, supporting actress. Um, now, no shade to this actress whom I have um, loved for a long time, but in many ways, I, I, I think my pick is a triumph in just plain casting. Sure. Uh, and so my pick for supporting actress is Tiffany Haddish in the card counter. Oh yeah. Um, because, and I mean, Paul Schrader like uh, did this by casting Cedric the Entertainer in 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 First Reformed, casting someone we know as a a comedian, and we know their personality to play something that is either a riff on that personality, which I think First Reformed is, mm-hmm. or in this case, Tiffany Haddish's character. We see the charm. We see like when we see her, you know, when she's. Uh, they're at that one casino and she's like walking down the hallway, like saying hi to all the other people. Like we, we see her charm, but mostly we see how she's someone who has kept it together by staying grounded, staying internalized and, and like thinking about her next step first. And so the, that like potential energy, that, that dormant yeah. energy that we like sense because we know who she is goes a long way, I think, toward establishing the chemistry between her and Oscar Isaac because Oscar Isaac's character is also not very emotive, right. you know. Um, and but we see him, we see them, the two of them, bringing things kind of out of one another, not quite like almost to the surface because they're still not quite people who are ever going to be yeah. like ebullient that's not how you would describe either of these 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 people but um we see two uh sort of 
determined survivors and loners kind of uh, uh, come together in a way that doesn't feel cheap. It feels it feels cautious. And uh, Oscar Isaac is, I mean, not that he's getting nearly the awards attention that I think he deserves, but he's the star of the movie. But I, I still think that central relationship between them wouldn't work without Tiffany Haddish being in that role. Well, and, and I, you know, I, I know that we're not really commenting on e- on each other's choices, but one thing that I, that Why I like not? about that's her, what people, that's what people like about the podcast. I guess that's true. Um, well, this is a terrible choice. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> joking. Um, well, what I given, because she is not super emotive and yet she is still charismatic because she needs to be mm-hmm. given what her job is. She needs to be able to work with a variety of personalities. Um, And so she's not exactly Don King, but I did have this quality. uh, There was this quality to her uh, where she appears to be kind of extroverted. You know that she's not like once you really start delving into, you know, who she is, what she's experienced, that sort of thing, you'd get a sense that like, oh, okay, the charisma is definitely a way to distance herself from other people. But, uh, and I think, yeah, like it's the kind of thing that a comedic actor can do that a dramatic, dramatic actor, you know, could probably do a version of, but there is, man, there's just something about comedians and that they immediately understand how to play a certain type of character. Um, any character of course, that has to have any even vaguely performative uh, elements like Cedric the Entertainer playing a, a, a preacher. Right. Um, they comedians seem to understand it more than most. Um, okay. All right. What's next? Let's go with our uh, grab bag or whatever it is we call it. Okay. Uh, dealer's choice. Um, <laughs> so this is yeah. Any of the categories that we do not specify here, uh, we can pick any of those and single those out. And so I'm actually going to go with cinematography. I'm going to go with, uh, and this is a, I, I think, I, I don't remember if this is nominated for an Oscar or not. Um, it's uh, Dan Lawson for Nightmare Alley. Um, I was torn on the cinematography for Nightmare Alley for a long time because it's so beautiful. And part of me thought, is it too beautiful? Should it not be this beautiful all the time? We are dealing with some pretty rough stuff. Uh should you know should the should the cinematography cinematography reflect that and i think i arrived at a place in which you know a moment ago i talked about the performative element of of you know tiffany haddish's performance um or her character pardon me um and and given what nightmare alley is where everybody is just performing all the time, even when they're in, even when they're trying not to seem like that. Certainly Bradley uh, Cooper's character is presenting himself a certain way. And the carnival is presented is presented a certain way. Uh, And then even like Kate Blanchett, the, her character has to exude a certain type of success and, and uh, a certain air of, of detachment. Um, And as such, when you have so many people projecting a certain image uh it makes sense that the world whether it be like the seedy world of the carnival where they're trying to trick you all the time uh or the up the you know more upper uh, class the the upscale uh, aspect of things um you know one thing i like about the film rather cynically is it suggests there's really not that much difference at the core between uh willem defoe's character and uh, uh Kate blanchett's character and as such the everything just looks so pristine and so beautiful uh, because it is a film that is all about what's underneath the, the veneer. And so the more gorgeous the veneer looks not merely as far as framing, but also a tremendous use of light and shadow and a tremendous use of color. Like I think of this as a really, a really uh, vibrant looking film, like really deep, rich colors uh, and a lot of depth in the frame as well. And that's a use that that's about shadow and such. Um, it, it's a world that I, even though everybody in it is terrible, it's a world I want to step into uh, and just spend time there. And that's something that, that certainly Guillermo del Toro, who's worked with uh, Dan Lawson before um, 
it, he just when he's when he's really working like with shape of water and with crimson peak which i feel like this is a better companion film to that than it is uh shape of water uh it's just like this is you know clearly he has found a cinematographer that can help him create these other worlds uh out of whole cloth certainly production design is a big part of it but i feel like the cinematography is not getting quite enough credit although maybe it was nominated for an oscar i don't remember now um i believe it was actually yeah oh good okay um okay. well I'm shoot gonna, i should have picked something else then uh, uh i looked him up he's danish so i'm gonna guess it's it's probably dan laustsen laustsen okay probably something like that uh yeah it's funny that you say like uh you want to spend time in this world because Nightmare Alley is the bleakest movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the bleakest movies of the year. But I think that's part of why, like, Guillermo del Toro is like, and, and Dan Lawson are like, it has to be, it has to be beautiful or else why are people going to spend two hours plus uh, <laughs> wallowing in how incredibly cynical this, this movie is. But also that's just who Guillermo del Toro is. He's like a guy who makes capital M movies. He's like, he's not, John Cassavetes like he's yeah. going to make his movie look like a huge movie that's meant to be seen on a huge screen no matter what it's about and Dan Lawson clearly clearly gets that and the two work well together uh, that said I would have loved to see a John Cassavetes-esque version of Nightmare yeah. Alley good lord how horrifying uh, I feel ah, I'm frustrated I, I could have very easily looked up to see if the film had been nominated uh, for cinematography which indeed it, it, it was okay. uh, so in this case I guess it's not through the cracks, but you know what? Uh, that's not actually the name of this. That's episode. not actually. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm also pick, uh, picking cinematography, uh, although I am a big dumb idiot who forgot to look up the name of the cinematographer. Uh, I, I spent the Dan Lauston. Like, it's not Dan Lauston. Um, it is Casper Tuxen. The movie is called The Worst Person in the World. Oh, sure. Uh, and partially I, 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 the movies is beautiful and, and the, the cinematography in terms of, uh, especially in terms of framing, I think is used, um, very intentionally and powerfully throughout. There's, there's so many, um, times when, and now I'm forgetting the character's name, but Renata Rensvis, character, um, is it Julie? That sounds right to me, but I can look. Um, there, there are many times in which we see her looking at the sky or standing. You know, she's on a dock or she's on a uh, a rooftop. In the opening shot, she's like on a rooftop party, um, and the sky is always beautiful, but it's always huge, towering above her yeah. in ways. In ways that I think I wrote about this in my review that suggest two things and that that seem contradictory but actually kind of are about what the character is facing this guy you you could see it as the sky's the limit she's yeah. a young person who has hasn't decided what's in front of her yet she's got all of these possibilities or you can see this the sky is falling she's not sure. as young as she was and she still hasn't made a decision about what she's going to be and and the future is coming down on her and uh, uh i i think that that framing um that it returns to is it julie yes um uh that um that's a big part of what stuck out to me about the cinematography but it's also me just knowing joachim uh so it's probably yuli isn't it yuli uh, anyway, Joachim Trier's other work, not all of it, but there other movies, ones that I liked or didn't like, look different than this one. Uh, the the way that like Louder Than Bombs or or Thelma look is one of the least favorite things about them. Often, there's the mm -hmm. the his uh, those movies have a kind of like um, this muted, like very sort of like tastefully muted, like like mid 2000s like hbo prestige drama type of look to sure. them you know and um the worst person in the world is so open and so light and so airy and so tactile so much of the time that it's um it's beautiful in a, in a way that feels more more natural than than lit but it obviously is lit and casper tuxen uh did a great job doing that so that's my pick 
It, it is a great looking film. And I think just because of the kind of movie it is, it, people don't really think about even the, even though there are fantasy sequences and stuff, but I, it's not the kind of yeah. film that I think people uh, register the, the cinematography, even though it's, it, it is everything that you're saying it is. Um, okay. Let's go with supporting actor. Uh, my choice is so one of the nominees for the BPs in supporting actor is uh, Jeffrey Wright, who, as wonderful as he is, my vote from that movie, uh, the French Dispatch, was Adrian Brody. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who is so much, it's just such a fun, broad comic performance. And yet, you know, when, when Wes Anderson is like really working, then even the broadest performances can still have a certain element of, of humanity in them. And this character is so over the top. He's, you know, he's a, he's a essentially like an art agent or manager or whatever you'd want to call it. Um, and at his best, he's, He's in, he's furious with his client played by Benicio del Toro, who's also great in the film. Um, he's furious with him and yet still cannot deny his talent. Uh, there, the, the moment that really sticks out for me, and then uh, there are many, but the moment that really sticks out for me is when he realizes that Benicio del Toro has painted this wonderful uh, series of, of paintings, but has done it on the side on a wall. It's a fresco. And so it's not, it's nothing that can be taken out and sold. And Adrian Brody is like so apoplectic about it and yet still acknowledges the, the, <laughs> the wonder of it and like gives him a hug, even though he's furious with them and that, that he can play both of those things. A guy who, you know, it's so easy again, this is in the writing, not just the acting, but you know, if this guy were just in it for money, which he still kind of is, then Okay, well now we we get the anger and the and the exasperation, but that he can still acknowledge the the beauty of what Benicio del Toro has done, and and in the end, I think that wins. I think he want, his admiration for the artist uh, wins out over his own frustration with the financial aspects of things. Um, and Adrian Brody, I think, is you know he's been around for a, a long time, and he's an actor that I that I don't think about very much. Um, partially because I feel like he's, he's, I've always thought of him as a good actor, but I also thought like, I've, I've seen what he can do. And then I, and then he turns in something like this and I was like, ah, what am I talking about? This is marvelous. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, so he's, he's my, my, uh, choice here. Yeah. He's, he's very funny. I don't have much more to say. Um, I, I love the scene when he's talking to, um, is it Henry Winkler and Bob Balaban or his like older business partners yeah and he's describing why this man's a great artist because he drew a bird (laughs) do you remember the part of he's like i asked him to draw a bird and he drew like a very convincing bird and like yeah he's like if he can do this and he chooses to do this and it feels like (laughs) it's passionate and funny but it also kind of feels like bullshit at the same time yes (laughs) yes uh it's a very funny moment um all right well my pick for supporting actor uh, I'm going way under the radar here to a Georgian film called What Do We See When We Look at the Sky? The supporting actor's name is Vakteng Penchulidze, I think, something like that. Um, and the uh, the premise of this movie is it's a somewhat fantastical uh, romance in which two people who fall, they fall in love in, for, at first sight, but then they are cursed to wake up the next morning looking different from one another so they spend the entire movie trying to find this person they fell in love with but they don't recognize each other because uh they don't they don't look the same anymore and so the 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 dramatic irony in the movie is they both end up um taking jobs working for the same man so they're working in the same park literally like 20 yards apart from one another the, the the entire movie um, and so that's this man who owns a cafe, but then also like has these little like, uh, games. It's like almost like an elaborate version of like the, um, three card money or whatever. He's got the guy like, um, doing little setups in, in the park. Uh, and that's, that's what this guy, this guy, he's crucial to the story because he's the connective tissue between them, even though, even though they 
don't uh they don't know it uh but he's a character all, all his own just this like kind of uh kind of lovable schemer guy who's like always trying to like uh he's got this cafe in the park and the world cup is coming up so he's trying to like set up a screen to like project world cup games to get people to hang out at his cafe he's he but he's also like um talking about going on vacation with his wife he's like he's a comedic character who's always like busy and slightly bothered with something sure um and he's also he's also very important to the movie not just to the the plot of the movie but to the tone of the movie because these two characters are so like uh shaken by what's happened to them that they're very reserved the entire time he's the he's the movie's energy and he is very energetic like i said he's always moving and always talking uh and it's a um it's a very fun and magnetic performance in its own right but also one that's uh uh absolutely integral to the movie working so uh again vaktang penchulidze okay something like that and uh, what was the name what of the we, film again? What do we see when we look at the sky? All right. Uh, two categories left. We got lead actress and director. We'll go with lead actress. Now, David, I have here for myself a tie. Oh, okay. Because how could I ever single one of them out? I'm talking, of course, about Kristen Wiig and Annie Mamalo in <laughs> Barb and Star Go to Vista yeah. Del Mar. I was talking before about how I, I love when there's an obvious way to play a character and uh, an actor chooses not to do that. But you know what? Sometimes <laughs> just steering into it completely uh, and just, you know, committing 110% is, is especially in the world of comedy, uh, is the best way to do it. Yeah. And I love this movie so much and I love their performances because, and they, you really, I mean, the, the film is at its best when they are interacting with each other and, uh, and then they go their separate ways and have their own adventures. And yet the adventures mirror each other in certain ways. Um, <clears throat> and what I, what I do like is that these characters are ridiculous at all times, but they're so endearing and especially when they're talking with each other, like they have such an obvious love for one another and their friendship is so uh, pure that uh, I just love spending time with them and in, they just keep building on each other. I don't know how much of it was improvised, uh, but, and the fact that I don't know how much was improvised is, is good yeah. because that means that either, that either most of it was scripted or is improvised so well that it yes. felt scripted. Um, yeah. It was so much of the, yeah post apatovian uh comedy <laughs> um uh well real quick though speaking of jed apatow okay because i know i'm your like connection to things that happen on twitter that you don't see yes uh but like a week or so ago there was so i guess Maud apatow was on that show euphoria okay and some like young person i guess tweeted something like i just realized that Maud apatow is like a nepotism hire her mom is Leslie Mann and her dad is a movie director. <laughs> and to go, I mean, I, I wish someone could like come from today to me in like, yeah, when this is 40 was coming out and say, don't worry. Judd Apatow isn't <laughs> ruining everything about American comedy in just a few years. Young people literally will never, won't even know who he is. <laughs> yeah. It's they'll know Leslie Mann, yeah. um, which is good for her. Well, and I just, I just love, I wanted, uh, I, I love the idea of Judd Apatow seeing that tweet being like, oh man. And that's the thing is to me, it makes me sad because it's like, yeah, right, you're behind the camera. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Uh, get in front of the yeah. camera if you want me to know who you are. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And so I just, uh, I, it's tough to, these are performances that are tough to talk about because they're just so funny. Uh, and it's hard for me to say, Hey, that choice, very funny. This other choice also very funny. Um, but also I think it, it, so much of it is just the chemistry that they have with each other. I could watch them. Uh, I, frankly, I wish this were a thin man esque, uh, 
uh, series. If if Barb and Star just go to a lot, or I guess the uh, the Road to series, like Bing Crosby and Bob Hope, right? Yeah, um, where they just oh, go yeah. to all these different places, and there's like six or seven of these movies. I'll see every one of them. Yeah, uh, because I love these characters and um, these performances so much. You mentioned how good they are together. The one the uh, the part that that sticks out to me is when they're like they're cornered by the villain and they're both like trying to talk their way out of there. And they're both like, they're both talking over each, like at the same time, a mile a minute about everything that they've gone through over the course of the movie. And Amy Momolo says like, and I met Tommy Bahama and Chris goes, you met Tommy Bahama. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's, uh, and it's also, even though they're talking constantly, yeah they still manage to also have a shorthand that friends do. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Oh, so it's, and of course I couldn't choose one over the other. Yeah. Why would I? My other, I think this is another anime moment of the line when um, at the beginning of the when they find out the the furniture store where they're working is closing and she says, where are we going to host Thanksgiving? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just want to watch that movie. That is, yeah. that is definitely, I haven't, I've only seen it once, but that is a movie that every time I think of it, it's like, why am I not watching that right now? Yeah. That's I've, I've seen it twice because of, yeah, I, I, when it first came out, I did the thing of the, like that pandemic thing of like, I spent $20 to stream it, but it was like, mm. you know, it was my wife and I watching it. If we had gone to the to a movie theater it would have been more yeah. than $20. So I spent $20 to watch it. And then the second that it was on, I can't remember what streaming service. I think Hulu. On. The second was on Hulu. I watched yeah. it again. Uh, I should probably watch it again. Uh, all right. So that was lead actress. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with, now you tallied uh, my BP's nomination. So you maybe remember who my number one choice was. It's Tilda Swinton in Memoria. Right. Uh, which is a, uh, a movie about a woman who is uh, adrift in more ways than one she's in a city that is not her city she is also undergoing a sort of uh mental possibly neurological issue possibly supernatural issue where she's hearing things that no one else is 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 hearing um and uh uh it's um the entire movie is her story there's there i mean there are other actors uh, and by the end, it actually, the, I shouldn't say the entire thing is their story because the set, the, the final third of the movie is actually kind of a two hander with her and, and, uh, uh, a man she meets in, in Columbia. But up until then, it's just her going through this life that is not really her life. She's like, she's, like I said, she's in a city that isn't her city, uh, because she's visiting her sister who was in the hospital, um, seems to be okay okay though um uh we don't know how she got in the hospital maybe she uh, a dog put a curse on her uh, that's another thing i should point out that memoria while being like the like like serious challenging art house movie of the year is also often quite funny sure. <laughs> um and so and that's another thing about like tilda swinton who's again often thought of as being this like ethereal weirdo and often plays those kind of characters has been funny in a lot of movies and um it's uh no different here some of it is yeah there's like ridiculous stuff like so you don't think that the dog cursed you or whatever but then there's also very like subtle one of the funniest moments in the movie is just all in body language where she goes she's met a guy not like in a Way. She just met a young man and has talked to him. And the next day she goes to his work to see him and she asks after him. And the other employees are like, Oh, we don't know who that is. No one named no one with that name works here. And so she has this moment of hesitating in the doorway where she's like, I know I mean, she did not this is all in her body language of knowing, like, I know this is where this guy works. But also, I know I'm going to sound like a crazy person if I keep insisting. Right. And just this like this hesitation in the doorway that's very well acted and also one of the like maybe the funniest moment in the movie uh, for me of her being like, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, so it's a movie that the, by the, like I said, the, the, the final third of the movie is like a, a two-hander. Could be one of those scenes in Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. No, probably could. But um, uh 
so there is a lot of dialogue, you know, when we think of what the lay person thinks of when they think of acting is like saying the lines, but also, also so much of her um, performance is just about her uh, existing in this uh, woman's skin at a time when it's for various reasons, uh, very uncomfortable, even though she's, it is implied a very comfortable person. Otherwise we get the impression that she comes from, from money and that she, uh is uh, has has a series of you know privileges whatever you want to call it but uh that's all the money in the world isn't going to keep you from hearing weird sounds in your brain that no one else hears if that's what's going on so uh uh yeah it's fantastic movie and and fantastic performance that sounds great um okay so last category is director and uh you know, it's tough. I, I, once you start talking about like the director, you're essentially in my case, you're talking about the movie. And so I don't want to go into too much detail because it's a film that's definitely going to be in my top 10 when that's in, in a few weeks. Uh, but uh, for me, Janisa Bravo uh, in directing Zola, I mean, talk about like juggling all these different tones because this movie is often hilarious often quite sad Mm -hmm. (laughs) and often extremely tense uh maybe even suspenseful like it goes beyond tense and awkward into being genuinely suspenseful and you're like is someone gonna die what 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 is this i was just laughing like two minutes ago and i'm gonna be laughing in 30 seconds but right now i'm scared for my life um and that's how she's able to do that i don't I don't know. Uh, while also, by the way, uh, making the film highly stylized. I think it's a wonderfully edited film. And the way that it uses cutaways, the, the way that it incorporates, you know, you could say fantasy sequences or you could say, you know, a different interpretation of events, whatever you want to say. And that she can that she can incorporate that and just have it feel like part of the, the larger tapestry of, of the film that really speaks to a, a very definitive command of tone. Um, I have, when I first saw the film and I was talking about it on here, I, I compared it to like an Elmore Leonard book or movie that is high praise for me because I've read a lot of Elmore Leonard and some of my favorite movies are Elmore Leonard adaptations that, that managed to get that blend of danger and seediness and sadness, loneliness, and tremendous humor managed to get all of them. Right. Um, But even then, like most of those movies like Jackie Brown and, and out of sight are wonderfully put together, but are fairly straightforward. Whereas this film also really kind of captures the, I feel um, sort of the, the, the sensibilities of its characters, you know, uh, these are characters that are, that are tweeting and are texting and are just very, um, aware of technology and the way that it incorporates that technology, uh, is something that I've seen done in other movies poorly and clumsily. Whereas here, everything just feels so organic and I just don't know how, I don't know how she did it. It is, one of those things where it's like, this is not a passively directed film at all. Uh, You can see the director's hand throughout. And yet I'm still completely invested in the characters uh, and in the story. um, Even though the director is constantly bringing in these uh, seemingly inorganic things and just making them part of it. Uh, And it's, it's a complete package and, I was just completely bowled over by it. And it is, it is a directorial achievement for sure. Uh, what's interesting. Um, I, as patrons might know, cause I uh, talked about it um, on the most recent Patreon TV journal. Yes. The most recent one that just went up uh, patreon.com slash battleship attention. You're going to hear mm-hmm. my thoughts on TV. Uh, I'm watching the fourth season of in treatment um, right now. And Janisa Bravo, directed a number of those episodes oh. and it's interesting to really because i don't the only other thing i had seen was was lemon which i didn't love but also has that very sort of like um 
exaggerated style. Right. And it's interesting to see her do something like in treatment, which is just like two people in a room talking type of scenes and be like, yeah, she really, she can do that too. You know? So when she's doing the over the top thing in Zola, that's a, that's a choice. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, um, I, I cannot wait because like, I, I don't think I've seen anything that she has done. Cause I didn't see lemon, but I'm definitely excited to see what, what she next makes. Well, um, to close out the episode, I'm happy to say that for a director, we both picked women. Uh, I am going with Mia Hansen love the director of Bergman Island. Okay. Uh, I think what, what struck me when I, when I, when I saw the movie was that, um, it takes a certain amount of confidence to make a movie that is some way in some ways entirely inspired by Ingmar Bergman or is about being inspired by Ingmar Bergman and not try to make an Ingmar Bergman movie to, to sure. say like, no, I'm making my movie about Ingmar Bergman. And it's, uh, it, and so for as much as it, I think it, I think it takes more from Ingmar Bergman in, in tone than maybe people would, would think because people associate Ingmar Bergman with a very narrow version yes. of his, his, his uh, his thing, but there actually is a lot more that's like human and tactile and somatic to his work than, um, than the, the sort of like shorthand of Bergman. Uh, and there's a lot of that, but it's still, but this is a Mia Hansen love film. The camera is, um, uh, loose and, 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 and free a lot of the time. The light is bright and sunny and warm. And, uh, the, interest is in the space between people the uh i'm trying to avoid saying liminal space because i feel like that like Ooh. it's gotten so overused lately i feel like um in a way that people don't uh, i feel like maybe i don't understand what liminal space means or maybe other people don't to me liminal space represents the idea of like a space between two people or a person and an object or two places or whatever a space between that is visually empty, but is actually filled with things. You know what I mean? Okay. Like yeah. emotions or electricity or whatever. I don't know if that's, that's how I've always thought it was supposed to be used. And I've seen people using it in other ways. It just means like, here's a kind of creepy, cool looking space. That's a liminal space. That's not hmm. anyway, I'm off, off, <laughs> off track, but, um, uh, but that's sort of my definition of liminal space is something that, exists there is something between there's something in the air at all times and um me handsome love uh captures that in a way that doesn't feel like she's like pinning it down or weighting it down or or like making it obvious to us she's just like tuned in to what's going on between any two characters at 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 any given time um especially in a movie that doesn't have a strict like aristotelian like plot structure in fact it has a very large part of the movie is an entirely different story with other characters mia vashkowska and uh the guy from worst person in the world daniel anderson lee i guess is that his lee, name? Yeah. um uh and to make a movie that feels like because it's about people being it's about artists being inspired and and following their muse or whatever um to make a movie that is that on the one hand does feel like that. It feels like the movie itself is following its muse. We're going to follow Tim Roth for a while. We're going to follow Vicky Creeps for a while. We're going to follow Vicky Creeps into her imagination and, and, and see the story that she's writing. Um, for it to all feel like a whole a thing that is, that needs to all be together, despite the fact that it um, goes off in all these different directions. That's, if I could be nebulous about it, that's kind of what directing is. It's making the thing feel like it's a whole piece. Yes. In, in many ways. And, and, um, uh, Bergman Island is, is a movie that, um, for as much of it could be described as almost shambolic, especially in the first half, uh, there's not a wasted moment or, or a threadbare moment in the entire movie. It's a completely, um, enrapturing captivating maybe this is the word I would 
All right. All right. Well, hopefully between the two of us, people uh, have some, some movies to watch and some stuff to watch out for uh, various uh, genres and, uh, and that sort of thing. So uh, nothing too dour, but nothing too light either. So, you know, watch, uh, let's see, what do we got here? Go and watch, you know, in the Heights and then watch Bergman Island and then follow it up with Barb and star. And then it's on to pig, you know, yeah. uh, it's going to be kind of all over the place, but, uh, anyway, uh, but yes. And, uh, and in the comments, feel free to weigh in with some of your favorite, uh, individual achievements as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, you can leave those comments about us at You can follow us. That's where you can find reviews of probably a number of these movies. Excuse me. Uh, you can find us. Let's see. What, what did I say? You can follow me on Twitter at David Pretension. I'm doing this out of order. You can email us at David or Tyler at You can follow me, David, on Twitter at David Pretension. Also, check out my other podcast, the one where I met your mother, in which my wife and I uh, watch a friend, an episode of Friends and an episode of How I Met Your Mother every week and compare and contrast and talk about what was, uh, what songs were on the. To, at the top of the billboard chart on the week that the <laughs> episodes in question aired i'm trying to think this uh th- this week this week we watched the one where uh well the the central couple on friends is ross and rachel this is the one where they get it on for the first time where they finally consummate their relationship um do you, then, do you say it like that on the episode i did not know oh it's too bad um and then we um watched a how many other episode called lucky penny which is uh in classic how many other episode has a present day framing device and then has a series of flashbacks that unfold in reverse chronological order some of which have flashbacks within them that's just the how many other style to completely uh twist up the the chronology uh, anyway those you can find that at the one where i met or find that at battleshipretention.com Tyler, you can find him on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Uh, Tyler, what would you like to plug this week? Um, let's see. I was recently a guest on uh, Out Now with uh, Aaron and Abe um, talking about Cyrano. So you can uh, check that out over at, I don't actually know what their website is. You just look it up. You'll find it. Um, but uh, but yeah. So and now, then, yeah. Well, I mean. I think all of Aaron's stuff gets posted at the code is Zeke.com. Oh, sure, sure. Um, and then uh, this coming week, so I think in a, in a few days uh, from now, um, I was on uh, the Fear of God podcast, which uh, is co-hosted by Reed Lackey, who I co-wrote uh, Valley of the Shadow, The Spiritual Value of Horror with uh and so he has he had me on there along with bill Oberst jr who narrated the the documentary so we talk a lot about the about the film nice. so uh you can find that uh just search for uh, the fear of god and i think that is it all right um well thank you for listening we'll get you next time bye bye This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 